With one hand, we reach back to the tried and tested principles which have dethroned principalities and powers. And with the other, we reach forward to the purpose, the power of God for a new generation. to you tonight a little bit about we're, we're going to talk about orthodoxy but we're we're going to talk about what we believe and why which is really what orthodoxy is and then we're going to tonight we're going to stand against the modern church culture theological mindset look at somebody and say tonight we're going to change our mind Tonight, we're going to get the mind, we're going to get the mind that dwells in Christ Jesus also. How many of you believe if we get that mind which dwells in him, dwelling richly in us through the Holy Spirit, we'll have the right orthodoxy. It's when men get involved that orthodoxy gets all messed up. So, what was our text last week? John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Now the doxology, put it up there again. Give me, give me those words again. I kind of walked you through it last Wednesday night. And let me walk you through it again. Just go back to your lyrics. There you go. Everybody shout it out loud. Let's go right through it. Finish it. Now, when that, that was originally written, nobody really knows. We do know that Thomas Kinn was the composer, and he lived from 1673 to 1711. He was known as an English cleric and one of the very few fathers of modern hymnody. So if you were a cleric, if you were a preacher, if you were a bishop, you had as much to do with writing the music of the church as you did preparing the sermons of the church. The modern mindset is there's, quote, praise and worship, which sometimes is not praise and often is not worship. And then there's, you know, announcements, and then there comes the message. But in the very early days, I can take you all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way back. How many of you were not alive in 1990? Yeah, see, you weren't around. When, when I got on this platform, uh, there were not two things. There was one thing. Uh, I might begin halfway through the first verse of a song. I might preach first and Clint Brown would break into my preaching with a song he had just written and taught his wife and sister three-part harmony with an 18-piece band 
and a 120 voice choir and I would be interrupted by him. I used to preach down there a lot and I'd be interrupted by him singing a song composed immediately from what I was preaching. That, that develops a flow that the Spirit of God can move in. So it's not clink, clank, clonk. It's one thing from beginning to end. It's an amazing thing to watch. Dr. Oral Roberts said he had never seen two human beings be virtually in the same flesh on a platform as we were. That was a thing that God did. Well, that evolved out of uh, John and Charles Wesley. Do you know who John and Charles Wesley were? Uh, Valor Christian College students. Anyone know who John and Charles Wesley were? Thank you. But you're not a Valor student. But I appreciate you being a professor for these Valor students who I'm kind of wondering what they're learning. Anyway, John and Charles Wesley were, Charles Wesley founded the Methodist Church, which then became the United Methodist Church. Do you know why they were called Methodists? They were called Methodists because John Wesley discovered that there was discipline in the word discipleship. We miss that. I said there's discipline in the word discipleship. Getting on a schedule is one of the most spiritual things you can do. My pastor said, if you're a preacher and you're in bed at 7 o'clock in the morning, you're not worth your weight and soul. Now, uh, uh, my buddy, uh, my Baptist buddy, Lynchburg, Virginia, Jerry Falwell, he said, I told him that one time, he said, well, I appreciate that for you Pentecostals, but we Baptists, we say 8 o'clock. So he said, if, if, you're, if you're a preacher or you're a minister, or you work in the things of God and you're still in bed at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're not worth your weight in salt. So there, John Wesley got him up at 5 a.m. every day. Because in those days, it was difficult. I mean, you didn't have, you know, noonday in a building with no windows in it in the middle of a dark night. You understand? I mean, so they got up when the sun came up, and they went to bed when the sun went down. And that's the way they operated. But what I'm trying to talk to you about is the discipline of being a disciple. I loved what Ashton Blair taught us in rally on Sunday. I'm still chewing on that. It's pretty good. You can get up and use 12 minutes and somebody like me still be chewing on what you said half a week later. But she was talking about everybody sets an artificial deadline. An artificial deadline. I'm going to lose 20 pounds come January 1. I'm going to exercise every day come January 1. I'm going to read my Bible. I got the yearly plan. Now, I, I don't know, but I, I, I know one person who is up to date 
on the yearly reading plan besides me. And that's the man sitting right down there because he's a man of discipline. He understands discipleship. And if you make a commitment to read through God's word in a year, and it only takes 8 to 12 minutes a day, you surely ought to be able to do that. But the Bible says, you know, many start, but few finish. You can't judge by how you are in the race today. I preached a whole Dominion camp meeting message on that. I can't look at you at the starting line all greased up and muscled up, flexing your muscles and breathing like some kind of dragon. I can't tell if you're going to run the race then or not because you might get three steps and one of those rippling muscles lock up on you. I can only know who wins the race by standing at the finish line. How many of you determined to make it to the finish line? Well, then you're going to have to get some discipline in your life. Not get up a different time every day. Go to bed a different time every night. Eat a different time all day long. I like to kill myself when I got out of high school before I recognized and accepted the call of God to preach on my life. They were putting me in doctor's offices and hospitals and emergency rooms, and nobody could find out what was wrong with me. So I had taken a job at the second highest paying factory in Columbus, Ohio at that time. Happened to be a dog food company, Cal Can Dog Food, the only one higher paying which I could have went to work at, but I didn't want to make Anheuser-Busch beer. They were the highest paying at that time. So I said, I'll take number two. But in order to get that good money, you had to work what they called a swing shift. Anybody ever work a swing shift? That is no fun. Because it's 7 to 11, 11 to 7, and what? Seven to, seven to three, right? Th- those are the shifts. So one week you're eating lunch at three in the morning. The next week you're eating lunch at three in the afternoon. The next week you're eating lunch at 9.30 in the morning. So it just, and it, it causes everything to be out of rhythm. If you want your life to get in rhythm with God, become a disciplined person. Uh, if you don't do this stuff, make these artificial things. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Come the first of the year and by January 4th, you've already left half of it. Don't do that. But Wesley created the Methodist church because he taught them Methodism. He lived his life by an hourly schedule every day of the week, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 4.3 weeks a month. That's the way he lived. And so he was a disciple. Now, I'm not telling you you have to be that rigid because we can use lights. Thank God. I said, thank God. And so, but we should not leave discipline. And besides that, I think there's something not right kosher, if you will, certainly orthodox, with folks that have to make themselves pray. 
Because I've never found any of us that have to make ourselves talk. Sometimes, I mean, I can talk up here with a microphone and a Bible, but you put me just in a room with a group of people and we're not talking about the Bible or we're not talking about the things of God. I wonder, sometimes I'd be in the car with people and I wonder, I'm thinking in my mind, how do they think of all this stuff to talk about? Right? And yet, prayer should be the natural outgrowth of Christ living on the inside of you. You shouldn't have to make yourself pray. If that book is life to you and health to all your flesh, we shouldn't have to make ourselves get in the Word. Amen? So that's the Holy Spirit's work. Anyway, he was the father, one of the fathers of modern English hymnody. This, this hymn is first mentioned in 1674 as the final stanza of two much longer hymns that he had written, one called Awake My Soul and With the Sun, and the other, Glory to Thee, My God, This Night. In 1695, those two hymns were referenced with a third hymn in something titled The Morning, Evening, and Midnight Hymns. Say morning, evening, midnight. Tell me somebody in your Bible that prayed three times a day. Daniel. Daniel prayed three times a day, flung those windows open, and began to pray. My spiritual grandfather, Smith Wigglesworth, got up at 7 o'clock every day from 7 to 7.30, he read the Bible. From 7.30 to 8 o'clock, he prayed. From 8 o'clock to 8.30, he read the Bible. From 8.30 to 9, he prayed. Then he took his tea. Then at 9.30, he began the process over again. Thus he did till he came to his afternoon meal at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Then he ate his afternoon meal, and he laid down until 5 o'clock when he got up to get ready to go do a service. That's a disciplined person. He didn't, he didn't leave any time in there for things that weren't building up his faith. That's the way he walked up to people in caskets, grabbed them by the lapels, jerked them out, and commanded them to live. And they fell in the floor. And that's when you would have quit. But not Wigglesworth. He picked him up, stuck him against the wall, and told him again. Let go of him, turned around, and he fell in the floor again. Finally, the third time, he stuck him against the wall and said, I told you once, I told you twice, I shall not tell you again. I command you to live. And the man coughed. His eyes came open. And he said, what am I doing here? Well, I want to raise the dead. The average preacher in America prays eight minutes a day. Eight minutes a day. We won't ask for a show of hands. Amen. Prayer is orthodox. Studying the word is orthodox. So then Thomas Ken, the author, the composer of that great hymn, 
He said in this little pamphlet, Morning, Evening, and Midnight Hymns, he wrote it for the use in prayer of the scholars of Winchester College. And here's what he said to them in that little pamphlet in the late 1600s. He said, be sure to sing the morning and evening hymn in your chamber devoutly. So he would, he would be doing this. He would be showing up at the dormitories, and he would be getting everybody out of bed, and he would say it's time to go to the Lord in prayer because singing is prayer if it's written correctly. Otherwise, it's just self-indulgent emotionalism. So, so he's, I would say to you, all right, stand up over there in uh, Jude Hall, stand up over there in Cunningham Hall, and now we're gonna go to our chambers and we're gonna sing the morning prayers. Yes? yes okay, so he wrote them out and he said we're going to do it devoutly. Devoutly speaks not only to systematically, but it speaks to with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In that day, everybody that was in a pulpit wrote hymns. Every one of them. They wrote hymns to go with their messages. Now you're lucky if you get a message and you can find somebody that can sing a song that'll go with it. Are you listening to me? Because again, we separate everything. We, we, I call it silo. We silo things. There's this, and then there's this, and then there's that. Well, what about if it's all one thing? What about if the offertory is no different than the opening song? What about if the message is no different than the offertory? What about if there's prayer mixed in the whole thing? Doesn't that sound more like what the Holy Ghost would do? I mean, on the day of Pentecost, when there was a rushing mighty wind, there was no service outline. Help me. Help me. He said, we're going to do this devoutly. What does devoutly mean? Oh, good job. With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. So you're not going to... Bless him. Praise him, all creatures, hear me alone. And, and stop worrying about what you sound like. Because to God, in God's ears, I sound like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Andrea Bocelli. I listened to him sing the doxology today. Yeah, before he got through the third line, I was in the floor on my face. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening? Say with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and all my strength. I will pray, I will praise, I will worship, I will sing. Now I know that Phil Driscoll, you know, he's my dear friend. He can get a little rough on you, amen? But he's well-intentioned, 
because he's trying to get you to understand that you are supposed to sing to the Lord. This is not supposed to be a concert. If you can't carry a tune, you ought to bellow like a big ox. Because by the time it gets to God, and hers is mixed with hers, mixed with his, mixed with hers, mixed with his, it is a great chorus before God. Are you listening? Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You know what's never mentioned? You. There's no I, there's no me, there's no us. Take every modern song you know and try to find one that's not I, me, us, we. They weren't interested in me. They weren't interested in us. They were interested in him. And I'll show you why. Because all praise belongs to him. Now watch this. He said, Ken, I forget his first name right now. Anyway, the cat that wrote this, right? He, he said, do this remembering, listen to the power in this, remembering, I'm just a little pamphlet, you know, that he wrote by hand and left in the dormitory at this college. There was no, there was no you know, he didn't have the thing printed. He wrote it down, and he put it in there, and he said, listen, you students, every morning, get up and do this, and do it with your whole heart. Don't do it sleepy-eyed. Don't check your social media before you do it. Don't go eat your cornflakes before you do it. In your chamber, down beside your little rickety bed, lift up your hands. Lift up your heart, and with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, begin to bellow. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Woo! That'll change your day. He said, remember, when you're doing it, that the psalmist upon happy experience assures you that it is a good thing. Listen to this. It is a good thing to tell of the loving kindness of the Lord early in the morning. So he's saying early in the morning, talk about the loving kindness of God and then of his truth in the night season. So in the morning, he's saying, talk about his goodness. And in the night season, whoo, talk about his truth. Talk about his word. Go to bed with this. And you'll wake up with this on your mind. 
Isn't that good? Is that good enough for you? Say, I want to be more disciplined. I want to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be an orthodox Christian. Amen. Now, what, what we've shared... Oh, I didn't know it was up there. Thank you all for putting it up there. Anyway, it's what, what we've been singing as the doxology the last two Wednesday nights is actually known as the lesser doxology. There is a greater doxology. Does anybody know what it is? You don't know what it is? It's actually what we consider a Christmas song. Do you know that those four lines, praise God. Now, Elvis sold a lot of records. Uh, uh, Jimmy Swagger sold more than Elvis, if you didn't know that. And, and now we've got this little girl and her great big uh, tight end. What's her name? Huh? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. And, and I don't know how many records she sold, but none of it has been sung as much as those four lines throughout history. Just like the Bible is the best-selling book today, yesterday, and always has been. Well, this lesser doxology has been sung more than any four lines in history. Man, I wish God would give me something like that. Now, the greater doxology, you probably know the author of the greater doxology. His name was Johann Sebastian Bach. <laughs> That's the kind of folks that used to write music for the church. In 1744, it's this. In gloria, gloria in excelsi Deo. I can't sing for you, but I sing for Jesus and he loves it. It's also called Angels We Have Heard on High. Here are the lyrics. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. Shepherd, why this jubilee? Why are your joyous strains prolonged? Say, what may the tidings be that inspire your heavenly song? Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I want you to pay attention to something. Note the doctrine of the lesser doxology. I'll not take time to take you through the, the theology of the greater doxology, angels singing, but the first one, watch this now. Put it up there. Look at the first, note, the first phrase of the lesser doxology, what we've been singing.
Just the lyrics, that's all we need. The lyric. Look at that. What does it say? Now watch this. Who's the subject? God. God who? God the Father. The first line speaks to the person of God the Father as the source of what? All blessings. So God the Father, the source of all blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Doctrine, theology, orthodoxy. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at the second verse, verses, the second line. Praise God. Praise him, all creatures here below. Yes? This speaks of the personhood and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because it's only through the Holy Spirit that all creatures can praise the living God. My great God. Psalm 104 verse 24. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. With wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full, full of creatures. And so is the great and wide sea full of innumerable creatures, living animals, both small and great. Verse 26, there go the ships and there is Leviathan, which you have made to play in the sea. These all wait upon you that you may give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are filled with good food when you hide your face they are troubled you take away their breath and they die and return to dust when you send forth your spirit they are created and you renew the surface of the ground who are the first lines about God the Father. Who are the next lines about? God the Holy Spirit. If you don't want it from the Old Covenant, I'll give it to you from the New. 1 Corinthians 2, 10. But God who has revealed them to us. What? All His blessings. By His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? Likewise, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received the, not the spirit of the world, but that spirit which is of God. 
so that we might know the things, watch, that are freely given to us. First stanza, by the Father God, these things also we proclaim, not in the words which men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. We compare spiritual things with spiritual. All that out of writing four lines of a hymn. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures. Hear below, because without the Holy Spirit, you can't. Okay, so the first lines were about who? The next lines were about who? God, the Holy Spirit. What do you think the third section of lines will be? The Son. The third line, in other words, he didn't just sit around, you know, and <laughs> what do you think about this? Well, this might rhyme with that. This is, excuse me, flipping Intense, layer on layer on layer. No wonder the roof came off the places when they started singing them. The third line acknowledges the Son, begotten of the Father, the firstborn of heaven, superior to angels and the heavenly host. Make no mistake about it. Hebrews 1.4 He, Jesus, was made so much more better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name. <sighs> the fourth line then summarizes the entire thing that all praise belongs to him. Since all praise is directed toward, watch, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not toward me, not toward I, not toward us. Toward the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Give him praise and give him glory. So then, our text is John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them through your what? Your what? Is what? Truth. Let me give you an easy definition of theology. An easy definition of theology because, you know, we use that word a lot. We'll be using it a lot in this series. So let's define it. It is the study of the nature of God and religious beliefs. The study of the nature of God. What is God? Who is God? What are his attributes? What are his characteristics? Why? Because he is to be the source of all our praise, God the Father, God the Son, 
called the Holy Spirit. Now for this series, here is our quote. It comes, of course, from my favorite, the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Commonly, it is found in theology that nothing that is true That which is true is not new, and that which is new is not true. Again, that's why I don't read, I don't study any contemporaries, and I haven't since I was 17 years old. I had a guy one time say, you got that out of my book. I said, honey, I didn't even know you had a book. And he was proven wrong, of course. So, uh, nothing that is new is true, and nothing that is true is new. Now, it's not 1,000%, of course. Thank goodness women don't have to wear 72 layers of dresses. I like black and white westerns. And why I'm, I'm like all the time, you know, they're, they're trying to get on a horse, can't get on a horse. They're, they're trying to run up a mountain, can't run up a mountain. It's 92,000 degrees and air conditioning has not been invented. And they are up to here and down to their ankles and four axe handles broad. And I'm like, it's got to be hot under there. Right? I mean, so we're not saying that. But we're talking about if you want to know a good life, don't choose one with no happy old people. Find a good life if you find happy old people. Amen? And I don't know anybody happier than true orthodox saints of God. I don't know anybody. So here again, you get aggravated at me for repeating, but I will repeat. Orthodoxy comes from two Greek words. The first one is orthos, and it means right, true. Doxa means opinion. So then orthodoxy is the right or true opinion. Got it? Say orthodoxy. The right or true opinion. Orthodoxy is holding to established beliefs. If you find some new doctrine, now you think about this. This book has been studied. Now, there's only 1,166 pages of the whole thing. What's Moby Dick, 3,000 pages or something? I mean, it, it's, it, the difference is this one is living. You read a verse 72,000 times, the 72,001th time, you'll see something you've never seen before. Because it's living. Jesus said it was, didn't he? He says, my words are spirit and they are life. So while it's ever evolving in our revelation of it, it is at the same time never changing. If you don't think that's some kind of book, think about the numbers of people. Go with me to the Western Wall. They used to call it the Wailing Wall. Go, go with me and watch the Jewish scribes. Watch the rabbis. 
sit there and rock back and forth. Now, all they've got is the Pentateuch. Students, what is the Pentateuch? The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what they study. They are still studying it. Those first five books, over and over and over. Think about all the preachers. Think about how many times Billy Graham's looked into this. Oral Roberts looked into this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon looked into this. John Charles Wesley looked into this. And you think some guy on the internet, 32 years old, that got saved out of drugs a week ago, has come up with some new doctrine? What are you talking about? Stop that. Prove the spirits and know whether they be of God. Everything that glitters is not gold. And the grass may be greener, but it don't taste as sweet on the other side of the fence. Stay with something that is foundational. Stay with something that you know to be proven true. Orthodox. Orthodoxy means holding established beliefs, especially in religion. It is also the authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine, or practice. Last week, we spent a lot of time on you have to practice it, right? The definition of doctrine is a belief or beliefs held, taught, practiced by a church or other group. For instance, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of righteousness, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of Christology, the doctrine of pneumatology, etc., etc., etc. How many of you would like to learn some of them? Now, I'm not referring at all in any way to those denominations, if you will, those churches named with orthodox in their name, right? The church of God is not God. The church of Christ is not Christ. I saw one downtown Columbus one time, and it was, it was a pretty big building. And Dr. Burkhalter, say it was as big as this, they had to build extra at the top for the sign. Because the name was like the Greater Bethlehem Temple Apostolic Holiness, third degree of the Masons, fourth degree of the Sun Watchers Church of the Lord Living Jesus Christ Missionary Incorporated. You know. Seriously, they had to build out the sides for the sign. How many of you know the sign is not the thing? The sign is the thing to point you to the thing. That's the reason Isaiah said, Behold, I and the children the Lord God has given me are for signs and wonders to point to something greater than ourselves. That's what we do when we praise Him. That's what we do when we worship Him. When we lift Him up. When we exalt Him. When we seek His holy presence. 
So again, orthodoxy is very simple. It's holding to and practicing the established beliefs and authorized, accepted theory of doctrine. For us, that would be the orthodoxy of Pentecostal charismatics. That's what we teach here. That's what we preach here. That's what we believe here. Or we wouldn't be preaching it and teaching it. And there are slight variations between every group. If you think that the church of God or the church of God in Christ or the assemblies of God or the church of God or whatever, if, if the Baptist, the first Baptist, the second Baptist, the 18th Baptist, if, if they have the same doctrine, but, but there are some slight variants within them. And that's because, you know, human beings are involved and we're good at messing up everything. So, so our subtitle then is what we believe and why, and that becomes the foundation and the framework that is necessary to establish what our charismatic Pentecostal orthodoxy is because our times demanded, our history compels it, our future requires it, and God is watching. Shout amen. amen. Okay. King Jesus said, we must teach and learn orthodox doctrine. Matthew, he gave it to us in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18b through 20. All power, Jesus said, is given to me in heaven and earth. Wow, that's doctrine. Go you therefore and teach all nations. That's our assignment. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. There's the Trinity again. You just sang about it. I think you're bored. Are you bored? Teaching them to observe all things what's right. What? Doing what? Say it. Doing what? Doing what? Doing what? Pastors. Didn't say anything about pastors. Didn't say anything about apostles. Didn't say anything about teachers. Didn't say anything about evangelists. Didn't say anything about prophets. He's talking to the body politic or the entire body. Say, he's talking to me. Okay. What are you supposed to do? Question. How are you going to teach if you don't know? I cannot teach French. I know French fries. I know French toast. I don't know French. Right? If I was going to teach it, I would need to learn it. So when he commands all of us to teach, he's commanding us at the same time to learn, not to be entertained, not to shout, buck, dance, run, spin. Not, that's not what he's talking about. 
He's talking about that is an outgrowth of what you have learned and what you have learned of me. The same, commit thou to faithful others who shall be able to teach others also. Why do you have need of milk? Why are you still on the breast? When you ought to be full-grown meat eaters, rightly dividing the word of truth. But that takes elbow grease. Amen. And God will reward you. Praise God. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.